Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Obehave. I am your host, Brian Middleton, also known as the Bearded Behaviorist. And today we have Maggie um, here. Maggie, uh, I'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Maggie Pavone. I'm a professor at Lindawood University, Behavior Analysis Department. Um, and I'm really excited to be here tonight. So thanks for having me on your show. It's a real pleasure. So... Maggie, my understanding is that we're going to be talking about the applications of behavior analysis and behaviorism towards preventing infectious diseases. Um, before we talk about that, though, I would love to be able to hear about some of the projects and things you're working on. Um, how we met was through the um, Open Education Resource uh, Special Interest Group. Is that right? Yeah, so you produce a lot of really cool, um, freely accessible resources for folks to learn about behaviorism, such as this podcast. Uh, and, and I'm really excited about our special interest group because we're focusing on getting people to collaborate and create additional open educational resources, which basically just means free, uh, free to access, typically free Um resources that people can use to enhance their understanding of uh, behavior analysis without having to like, you know, and me as a professor, I can say this freely, uh, without having to pay tuition or, or you know. Um, spend an arm and a leg. <laughs> spend a bunch of money. Yeah. Because I think that our science has, has a lot to offer to the whole world, whether or not you have, you know, an extra couple grand to go shell out to learn it. So, uh, Wait, there's places you can spend a couple grand to get a behavior analysis degrees? I mean, a class, maybe. <laughs> okay, there we go. I was like, what? Where did I not look? <laughs> I wish I could get my, my uh, tuition down to that. But no, you're right. It's usually quite a bit more. And even, in, even folks who don't want to be at the degree level, I think that our science can help people who don't necessarily want a master's degree, but, but who really just want to help people and make the world a better place. So. Yeah. And um, my objective here with um, OBEHAVE is to focus on students, uh, parents, and teachers. But obviously, I want behavior analysts to be a part of this as well, because, well, if you stop learning, um, in my opinion, you stop learning when you die. Oh, definitely. Unless I, you're learning how to decompose, in which case you're learning something. I mean, I've never experienced it yet, so I, don't, I can't tell you it's going to be a rule-based, not contingency-based guess. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I agree, lifelong learning is amazing. I think, I think that's the way to stay stay excited about what we can potentially do and stay optimistic. 
And um, we're going to be having more podcasts specifically about open education resources. But um, the third episode I put out, uh, second if you count my introduction as an episode, uh, was with Veronica Howard. And we talked about uh, OERs or open education resources and why they're important. So folks, if you haven't had a chance to get to listen to that, and you want to know a little bit more about OERs, please head over that way, um, anchor.com slash, uh, sorry, dot FM, anchor.fm slash obehave, um, or anywhere that obehave can be found. Um, Definitely go check out Dr. Howard's work. She's just brilliant and and explains things in such a uh, easy to understand way. She's great. And, and I recently found out she's a Terry Pratchett fan, which endears her even more to my heart. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, behavior analysis in re- relation to preventing disease spread. Um, where should we start with that? Well, I guess it, for me, the reason I think this is so interesting is because we have this like widespread, and obviously timeliness is is a piece of this too, but socially mm-hmm. significant problem, right? People are... Yeah. Are, are getting infected with, with a virus that we don't really know a lot about. Um, so As of the I time of this the- recording, uh, we're talking about the coronavirus, by the way, um, which, you know, uh, just so there's some context for anybody who's after this. Fingers crossed, civilization hasn't fallen apart. And, and, and you know, we, we're living without toilet paper and bottled water. <laughs> <laughs> so, well- Yeah. <laughs> And I think, I think that's what makes it Sorry, timely, but I think that behavior analysis doesn't really need to limit it to that. I think this just makes it really salient, right? We, we're all yeah. concerned about it right now, so what can we do about it? Um, and I think if we think about you know, one, of our, one of our great behavior analysts, um, you know, Skinner wanted us to save the world. So what better way to do that right now than talk about how could we prevent extensive spread of this disease or, or any, any pandemic? So. So um, that brings the question up, what types of behaviors prevent the spread of disease? So it's, again, I think we can kind of get away from that like media hype about things and and realize that we have been given some suggestions. Um, Mm -hmm. The CDC, for instance, recommends, um, you know, avoiding sharing personal items, um, taking care of the emotional health of your household members, including yourself. And then the one that I think I really want to talk about today is washing your hands frequently um, and yep. avoiding touching your eyes, nose, and mouth, uh, covering your cough or sneeze with a tissue and throwing it in the trash. And then World Health Organization recommends similar behaviors. So we have some good alignment here. Wash your hands frequently, um, avoid touching eyes, nose, and mouth, maintain social distancing. So keep yourself um, out of others' intimate space. And again, you know, learning how to really, it sounds silly, but really cover your mouth and nose um, with a tissue and throw away the tissue. So they seem like tiny, small behaviors, but in behavior analysis, I think that's how we start to address these really large problems is by narrowing down on these specific things that individuals do that we can help make happen more often or make happen less often. Yeah. Well, and um, part of that is a question of of whether a behavior is reinforcing or not, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And when I started to dive into this research, um, part of it, I'll I'll, just be frank, it's because my mother and I like to have arguments about whether or not this is real or not. Um, But 
Another thing I found interesting was that this isn't necessarily new information. Uh, we've had information about this for quite a while. I just think that now, like you said, like there, there's more, there's more of a motivating operation. There's more, uh, there's more reason for us to engage in these behaviors, or they seem more valuable to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are are looking for these things, and and I think this is again a place where behavior analysts can step in and say, hey, you know what, we actually we have some ideas and some solutions that might help people stay healthy and safe. Well, and I am um, at, at the uh, recording of this podcast, uh, a program coordinator for my um, behavior analysis company. So my, re- my responsibility is to assist the behavior analysts uh, to ensure clinical efficacy, um, to provide additional training and support um, to Basically, my clinic's objective is to try to get the supervision above the minimum 5% mm-hmm. by having those different things. And as a behavior analyst in training, a bait, if you will. <laughs> um, we'll talk about that on the Behavior <laughs> bait right there. Uh, but, you know, as since since I am preparing to to test and that sort of thing as of this time, um, it's, it's a good opportunity for me to practice teaching doing those sorts of things. And so one of my responsibilities is to analyze and look at these sorts of things. Um, and we work with a lot of kids and some of them have compromised immune systems. And so the question I had was how do I get kids to want to cough into their elbow? Mm -hmm. And so I went out and found a 1950s image of Batman with his cape over his face. And I put, in big bold letters, be a hero, cough like bat, like Batman. I love <laughs> and it. the entire clinic is now saying, cough like Batman, cough like Batman. And then I made little cards uh, with um, a task analysis breakdown uh, that somebody else made, but they provided it for free to use for printing and, and spreading how to appropriately wash your hands. Um, and they labeled it with germ busters. And as long as it's not being used to, uh, it's not being sold, then it's, it's open source and, and allowable, which we're not selling it. I made and laminated these little cards and I walked around to each little kid and said, are you going to join the germ buster squad? Ah. You know, and, and making a big deal out of that. And, um, the one thing that like, cause there's a bit of a craze over this, um, I don't think it's 100% a craze, but there's definitely a craze component of it mm-hmm. um, around the coronavirus thing. And so my response was instead of making the posters and the hand washing instructions and everything specific to that, I'm just incorporating that into the clinic and the BCBAs are, and the other supervisors love it because um it's good. It's what we should be doing, right? I think that's yeah. another interesting piece of this is, like I said, like I don't really have any research from like the last week that I want to discuss because it's already been done. Um, you know, these are things that we we've kind of been told we need to do for I don't know. I got taught to wash my hands to the tune of ABCs when I was a little kid, but yeah. uh, but like you said, that the reasons that we want to engage in that behavior, perhaps at the at the time of this podcast recording. Um, have changed and they've made, you know, hopefully people more interested and uh, motivated to do these things that can keep us all, keep us all healthy. Well, and frankly, when we're talking about flu season, mm-hmm. which, you know, has kind of sort of come and gone um, a little bit, uh, 
if people were to wash their hands more frequently, we would have less issues with that. Um, when we're talking about spread of other things like hepatitis, like one of my favorite pizza joints um, uh, had a situation where an employee caught hepatitis and they enforced strict hand washing and strict sickness policies. But this employee had just been traveling um, from out of state and had stopped in bathrooms and had probably picked up that hepatitis from somebody mm -hmm. who had touched a door handle after and had not washed their hands. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where it's like just something so simple, taking um, 30 seconds to wash your hands, preferably with hot water, but definitely with soap. Um, can do so much to prevent the spread of disease. So much. And even so, uh, the United States Agency for International Development, which is probably not something a lot of folks are super um, familiar with, but you know, they have been looking at how we increase hand washing for decades. Um, mm -hmm. And they've actually identified some things that I think are really aligned with behavior analysis um, that I, I did want to share, but I also after I share them, I, I kind of want to talk about like, well, if we've known this for so long, how come we're not doing it? Uh, yeah. So they, they certainly have, have some suggestions. So, um, you know, we can look at antecedent interventions like mm -hmm. you're doing with your, with, with your awesome cough, like Batman, um, models and posters. Uh, mm -hmm. they suggest things like making sure that handwashing stations are available and accessible to everybody. So, you know, maybe this isn't as much of an issue uh, down in your area where everything is big and I hear Texas has more of everything than the rest of us do. Um, but Oh, I'm not in Texas. I'm in Colorado Springs. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> you're, just, you're just in a more beautiful area than me. So maybe you have better things there too. It is, uh, it is pretty big here though. It is, it is the Midwest. Uh, well, it's the Western United States. So things are more spread out. I've been kind of Midwest and East coast and things are definitely a lot closer together. Because like in my office, for instance, um, we have two hand washing stations, you know, two bathrooms, but they're single person bathrooms and there's a lot of us in there. So, mm -hmm. you know, that may not be enough um, to, you know, if I have to wait in line, I might not, I, I might not think that's worth my time. Um, we could yeah. also look at, you know, one of the suggestions was visual cues, which is exactly what you're doing, which is amazing. Um, so to highlight yeah. both proper procedure and then also like, where are these hand washing stations that we can go use? So we could do both of those. Um, so something I recently was traveling from Utah to Colorado and I walked into a Love's gas station. I, after that, conducted a little bit of an informal survey on other Love's gas stations. And I think it was just the management in that gas station who did this. But directly next to the urinals in every single, every, directly next to every single urinal in the men's bathroom was a um, antibacterial gel dispenser. One of those automatic ones you just put your hand underneath right. and it dispenses. And I was like, okay, that's actually a pretty decent antecedent intervention for people not washing their hands. It's not Absolutely. great. Just make it available and make it available in a place where it makes sense, right? Hopefully yeah. you guys are using those right after you do the other thing that you do in there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually went over and washed my hands with hot water and all that good stuff because... I don't know. I mean, uh, infectious diseases are killed better that way. You know, the antibacterial gels are, are a little bit more stopgap. Absolutely. Um, and we have but, a lot of research that says that too. Like 
use them if you have to, but if you can wash your hands, the, the benefit to you and the people around you is so much bigger. And it doesn't even have to be antibacterial soap. It's just hot water and soap. The idea is it's um, making it, if I remember correctly, what soap does is it, and, and my chemistry teacher will probably kill me for saying this wrong. Um, it, it basically uh, increases the uh, magnetic component of water uh, with that, that's, that solution that's being added and makes it easier for things to slough off and um, move away. And so that, that soapy feel, that wet feeling, that increased wet feeling is partly preventing bacteria from holding on to you. And then partly be, the, that kind of greasy feeling is a base solution that is killing off any bacteria that is uh, susceptible to base solutions. So it's kind of the opposite of an acid and certain bacteria that are harmful or tend to be pretty susceptible to that from what I recall. Please don't kill me. The Mr. Blatchett, if I got it wrong. <laughs> well, the even better news is that um, when we talk about, you know, giving people rules or instructions about hand washing, it turns out that um, actually using like emotional messages is more effective than talking about exactly how that function of chemistry works. So okay. even if you got it wrong, um, <laughs> things like talking about, um, you know, if you have a parent involved so like a parent in your clinic who comes in you know pointing out how washing their children's hands is an act of nurturing or caring can actually be a, a more effective rule because it draws on those values that are already really important to that person whereas you're right if, if you talk to me about uh, dry chemistry I might pay attention but I might not and it probably isn't going to change my behavior <laughs> you know what that's true and now that I think about it the episode of scrubs yes i'm a scrubs fan <laughs> that had the biggest impact on me was the two episodes where um a doctor intern decided to leave and he picked up a dirty glove off the the ground and threw it in the garbage and then he went to shake the hand of a patient that he cared about a lot and that he had had a connection with and they highlighted the spread of the germs oh yeah. Through yeah. that. And then later episodes, some pretty tragic, the later episodes, some tragic stuff happened as a result of that. And that, that kind of hit me in the feels. Yeah. And I, you know, but as behavior analysts, I think we can, we can change tiny things like that. Like how do we explain why it's important? Well, if we know that hitting you in the feels is a little more effective, um, then we can change our antecedent interventions to be, you know, a little bit more in line with that. Yeah. Um, and it might be just those little small changes that make the small behavior changes that create, you know, maybe hopefully prevention or at least a stop of the, the I don't know, exponential spread, I guess, that we're seeing right now uh, yeah. of, of illness. So, so yeah. But my, my so it sounds like, like a little, oh, go ahead. oh, sorry. Um, I was going to say, it sounds like it's, this is a little bit rules govern behavior that we're talking about, but it's also a little bit about some antecedent manipulations and motivation, op motivating operation, maybe creating some conditioned motivating operations. Yeah. So does that sound I about want, right? I, I think ultimately what I w would like to like show is that we actually have quite a few different interventions that can help. And if we can use 
one of them or some of them or many of them, then we're just going to be much more likely to be effective. Okay. So, so we could talk about antecedent manipulations. We can talk about some consequence-based interventions. We can talk about some, I, I've found some really creative uh, interventions like yours that, that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of. And it's not about making people do the right one. It's about trying to do as many as we can to affect the, as many people and their specific um, behavioral situations that we can. So I think any well, is better than none. And, and that's something that's kind of important to understand about behavior analysis is that it's um, in, in single case, single subject design, which means everybody responds a little bit differently. And so one size fits all doesn't quite work so well. Um, but if we were to try multiple types of interventions, then that means that you have a higher probability of, of getting people on board with this idea and reducing the spread of disease. Yeah, right? absolutely. I, at least that's what I think. And that's kind of what I've seen in practice. So I hope it's right. The data says it's, it's supported. <laughs> okay. So um, you mentioned data. Uh, what does our uh, behavior and analytic literature say about uh, changing some of these behaviors? So we actually surprisingly have quite a bit of, uh, of literature that focuses specifically on these types of behaviors. Um, okay. Even, even some of them are, are pretty creative and fun. So uh, a neat antecedent intervention that I found um, from, from Watson in 2018 uh, involved putting um, little toys inside clear glycerin soap bars uh, mm -hmm. and then distributing them to households with kids. And I'm an 80s child, so like soap on a rope was a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and, you know, again, we're just we're just pairing something that may have been aversive, soap and washing your hands with something that's exciting and making the consequence for washing your hands be not only the one that we want to see, which is clean hands and no germs, but mm -hmm. access access to a cute little toy or whatever. Um, so so that's kind of a basic application of behavior analysis to this type of behavior. Um, we've also seen some some pretty interesting ideas um, when it comes to creating safe organizations. So like at your clinic, like you've done some neat antecedent interventions here to change the, the way your entire organization deals with infection prevention. Um, mm -hmm. And our literature has a lot to say about that too. So we've got a lot, um, uh, quite a few studies that have targeted hand washing in human service settings or hospitals or clinics and things like that. So okay. the big thing that we see if we look at all of the literature is that just telling people what to do doesn't really work. It's better than nothing, but it doesn't really work. So we want to also include things um, like uh, Bowman and Hardesty um, study most recently um, where they not only provided kind of posters and, and some, some modeling. Um, but they also looked at, um, group-based lottery intervention. So what that really means is it's kind of like when you were in elementary school and maybe, um, you had like a, a teacher who would give you tokens or a ticket to the school store or something like that. Every time you got caught doing something good, mm -hmm. we 
we can do that in big organizations too. So what they did in this study was they, um, for individuals, staff, employees that got caught washing their hands, they got entered into a lottery and got a chance to um, earn a prize. They also really capitalized on like the way that we influence each other as social beings. So when you got a prize, it wasn't just that you like got a check in the mail. They had like this big overt prize delivery and social praise by a supervisor. So you also kind of like got shown off for doing that thing that we want you to do. And they actually saw success in this study over two years of using this intervention, which is pretty long. We in, you know, long in behavior analysis, we usually kind of look at smaller timelines, but, but two years and the overall cost of that intervention was a thousand dollars. Like in a giant organization like that, that's, that's it. Very low. Right. Um, so very effective, even though it seems kind of silly. Well, and um, that's actually something else that we're doing at my clinic. Uh, and I, I have to say that uh, first off, the I, I make it sound like I'm the one pushing this, but it's not just me. It's it's everybody in the clinic that's pushing it. All the behavior therapists, all the BCBAs. Um, I just was the one who was tasked with creating the posters and that sort of stuff. So first off, I want to make sure that I'm not sounding like I'm like, oh, the, I'm the only one who's clean, um, but <laughs> which is not the case. Uh, they were everybody was concerned about that and have been uh, for a while, especially around flu season. In fact, um, <laughs> when flu season hit, it was like, okay, we're going to bleach the heck out of everything. Um, yeah. But, but only when the kids aren't around because we don't want anybody to have allergic reactions. So that's yeah. actually um, literature-based uh, intervention too, is when we create this cultural norm of like mm -hmm. all of us in this organization want to have clean hands, right? And it's, yeah. it's, it's the expectation that, that you do that. Um, that can provide that same like social reinforcement and, you know, sometimes social punishment, right? If, if, you, if you're that one person who doesn't, then people are probably going to say something about it. Um, and we know that that yeah. tends to punish, punish behavior or, or create changes in behavior. So you're, you're doing exactly what the literature says you should do over there. Well, awesome. And we also get the kids in on it. Um, we have one kid who's uh, nonverbal, but he loves to help out. Um, and he feels more engaged with everybody as a result of helping. And so we made him our safety officer because he wants to help. That's one to help with behavior reduction, but two, more importantly, in my opinion, so he feels like he's a part of a community. And so we've been going around with him um, and uh, he, and this is also an opportunity to learn uh, sign language in vivo because he did not have access to language before. And now he's accessing language in a way that he had never um, really had access to previously. And so I say to my guy, you sign it, I'll say it. And so we'll go around and he'll sign uh, time to wash hands. So cool. And, and we, we just go around and there's a lot of social praise for, for both that and also for social praise for the kids washing their hands. And the conversation is had very frequently talking about the importance of keeping ourselves clean and washing our hands after we sneeze, even if we sneeze in our elbows, that sort of thing. Um, and it's, it's all creating that culture, like you said, and including the kids as cooperative partners in that because... Um, 
the reality of the matter is, is that if they weren't included, if it was just the adults saying, wash your hands, like how, how interesting would that be? Well, I guess uh, that goes back to our, our, the last time we chatted, which is, you know, cooperation over compliance. Yes. People, people do better when they're part of something rather than they're told they have to do something. There's so much learned history that makes that, that weird, like, wash your hands um, instruction so aversive. Uh, that Well, and to refer to an upcoming podcast, this one's going to be published before that one, but the upcoming podcast with Robert Schramm, we talk about instructional control. And he, he doesn't say gain a constructional control. He specifically says earn instructional oh, I like control. That. I like that too, because it's not something that you just gain. It's something that you earn from whoever you're working with. And uh, it, it emphasizes the importance of that partnership. When it sounds like you've also, with, with this gentleman that you um, have done such a great job in supporting, have also kind of hit on another piece that our research really supports, which is that uh, when we get that really positive socially mediated feedback, it can actually lead to self-reinforcement when we make progress towards a goal. So mm-hmm. Sue Azaroff and Mayer, who I probably just butchered both names, but I did my best. Um, yeah. you know, okay. <laughs> they did a lot of study about um, goals as antecedents and then feedback as um, as something that can be kind of you know, trying to stay away from the mentalistic aspect, but internalized, right? So if you used to provide me feedback for achieving something, then eventually I can do that for myself. And so perhaps by giving all of this wonderful, rich social feedback and consequences for this behavior, eventually this young gentleman can provide that for himself, even when he's not in your clinic, maybe he's going to go wash his hands at home and say, you know, good job, dude, I, I did a good job. Um, and continue well, to maintain that behavior. And um, so for folks who are new to behavior analysis, um, this is something, this is a little connection that I made when I was learning that I realized, oh my gosh, it was a, it was an epiphany moment. Um, These ideas of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, um, they're, they're kind of mentalistic in that there's kind of a fiction that we come up with to explain things. What, what's really happening is everything is extrinsically motivated to start with, right? Like you, you get a stimulus of someone asking you to do something, you do it, and then they praise you for it, they thank you for it, or a positive consequence has, happens as a result of that. Well, eventually what happens is the doing the thing itself becomes reinforcing. That's called paired reinforcement. Um, and so that's where the that idea of intrinsic comes from, that I do it because I enjoy it. I do it because I'm good at it or because it brings me satisfaction. And, and so therefore, if you look at stimulus, response, stimulus, approaches to behavior or antecedent behavior consequence, um, if the consequence of doing the behavior is looking at it and, and fe- getting a sense of satisfaction from it and the behavior maintains or increases, then that must mean that the completed work is reinforcing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think that's, you know, a great technological description of exactly what you've done here, which is really cool. So I I think about this stuff way too much. Oh, me too. I always tell my students, I can never turn it off. Don't expect me to. It's never going to happen. I love this stuff. And I, I try to explain everything that way. Um, I wanted to talk about two other like really interesting 
to me, but maybe to you too. Um, oh, yeah. Tools that we have out there. One is uh, Shannon Shea um, just put out this really cool YouTube video. I don't know if you've seen it yet, uh, where I know we're talking about increasing behaviors that can um, prevent the spread of disease, but we also heard in, in the World Health Organization and CDC recommendations that we're not supposed to touch our faces, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so today, just as a, a, a joke, I was teaching a class right before we jumped on here, and I tried to not touch my face, but I also just tried to count how many times I failed at that, and I did touch my face, and I really don't want to admit the rate, but it was pretty high. So I think this is something yeah. that a lot of people do without really noticing that they do it. So Shannon put out this cool YouTube video. You guys can all look it up if you feel super nerdy about it, um, where she talks about another behavior analytic tool called habit reversal training, um, which basically teaches us to identify the behaviors that we don't want to do, that we do kind of automatically, and then create antecedents and consequences that help us not do that anymore. And I, that's a like super simple explanation, but if you... Uh, if if you think that might be interesting to learn more about, Shannon has put out this wonderful tool that I think is pretty accessible to most of us. Um, um, I would the- love it if you could send me a link to that because uh, I would I would link it in the podcast. Yeah, and then the other one I wanted to pull up um, just into our conversation is that when we have people in our environments that maybe aren't responding to the contingencies and the antecedents that we put in place to help them wash their hands. There's been some really good study um, with a tool called the performance, it's a little bit of a jargon term, but the performance diagnostic checklist safety edition. And it's just a tool that you can, I I think anybody could really use it. You just kind of walk through a series of questions um, that helps you determine maybe why someone's not doing the thing that that we want them to do. Uh, And it's been really effective in determining what makes people wash their hands or or what things we can put into the environment that are missing to help someone who's not responding to the to the types of interventions that we've put in place. So if you kind of have that really effective intervention, but you've got one or two people that maybe are still not washing their hands, um, that might be something that folks want to check out because it's easy to use and, and gives you some really nice, easily implementable um, kind of I guess I'm going to call it treatments, supports, I guess. Supports. Might be better word. Yeah. To help yeah. that person kind of um, improve their performance. So I think both of those tools are out there and, and freely accessible and just could help, uh, could help someone change their organization to be a little bit more healthy and safe. Yeah. And um, especially with behavior analysts, we need to consider this. Uh, it, well, it's not just, not just especially as teachers uh, as well, especially special ed teachers. Um, a lot of times we work with kids who are more prone to be affected by these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, not always. You know, there's some kids where I'm like, how the heck did you get this immune system? <laughs> <laughs> I just watched you lick that Lego and you're not sick. Like <laughs> you, you just walked up to a subway terminal and licked it and your parents showed me the video of it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, you're attending to the behavior. This is all tension reinforced. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, how are you alive? <laughs> but, you know. 
Yeah, I don't know. But, but we have to be concerned about those kids, you know, who, who have that and, and those other individuals because, you know, there's typically comorbid issues uh, not j- with, with children that, that we serve and support. And so we have to be considerate of those. Um, and behavior analysis doesn't just apply to individuals uh, typically who are affected by autism spectrum disorder, but also um, other areas too. Like, for example, I read an article um, today that was shared with me by a, a good friend um, about uh, how these issues are affecting the homeless population because typically when it comes to homeless um, folks, they are, when they're in shelters, the shelters, the the beds are really close together. There's typically not very many hand-washing stations. Sometimes soap runs out. Sometimes it's just cold water and Mm -hmm. who wants to wash their hands with ice cold water? Um, you know, issues like that. And then a lot of these folks also deal with other health issues and respiratory diseases. Um, and a lot of times the reason people end up uh, homeless is because of health issues. Absolutely. Um, Especially with our, I don't want to get political, but with our, the cost of medication, um, that can be a huge barrier to, to people um, mm-hmm. maintaining both health and um, a roof over your head, right? Sometimes we have, we have contingencies that make people have to choose between that. And unfortunately, that choice might, you know, might impact your overall quality of life. Yeah, exactly. And, and so that's something that we need to be concerned about. And, um, to do a quick derail, just a very quick one. Um, one of the individuals who was mentioned in, um, that article, uh, she's dealing with, uh, a syndrome that affects her connective tissue and, that friend who shared with me that article um, reached out with another of her friends and created a GoFundMe to help her get to a place where she could get housing and, and the appropriate medical treatment. So, um, That's folks, why I if love you could, our field. I know our love our field. But we really have some people with big hearts out there who are just incredibly giving and, and of their time and their resources and and exactly everything. It's wonderful to be a part of. So. Um, if, if, uh, if you're listening to this, um, go to bearded behaviors, the March 11th post of 2020, I posted, that's the only post I put out that day for, for Tracy so that people can participate and try to help her with that. She's, uh, a former school psychologist who is hoping to get back into a place where she can return to work, um, after she gets treatments that right now aren't covered by insurance, not even by Medi-Cal insurance, which is, um, right now the only insurance that she has. So, uh, sorry for the derail, but at the same time, I feel like that's important. And, um, I want everybody to realize that this affects real people like, and Tracy is one of those real people. So, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't, don't apologize. I think, again, I think that's the reason that we're all here is we want to, we want to help people. And if there's a way we can do that, and um, especially if it's, you know, kind of that real tangible kind of help, um, I think that's great. Yeah. So, I know we're getting close to our end of our time, but I just wanted to um, say a couple more things, squeeze a couple Go more for things it. in here. Um, so I, if you are in a larger organization, um, I think I have kind of some takeaways. Uh, one is that, um, you know, 
goal setting and and feedback is one of our most effective um, strategies to improve any type of individual and group performance. So yeah. setting some goals for folks about hand washing um, and, and providing the opportunity for them to access something good, what they would consider good, whatever that is, when they do that um, mm-hmm. can be a great way to change this. Um, we can make that even more effective when we uh, display that progress or we display those things that we, um, those, those achievements of goals in a way that other people can see. So that's another way in an organization, like it'd be cool to see some graphs of the number of hands washed this week or, or something like that. Uh, And that can actually change behavior on its own, which is pretty neat. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, don't forget we we can um, we can always do small things to create large change. So, you know, group based contingencies like competitions and and um, lotteries can be really effective. Increasing just the availability of the things we need to do these types of behaviors can can be a small but significant move. Um, and then the last thing I want to bring in my very favorite book of all time. Okay. Which is um, Finding Solutions to Social Problems by Matani and Thayer. And what they say in the end of this book, which just to this day, like blows my mind and, and I come back to a lot, is that we have to do these small, what they call elements of action, right? These tiny individual changes in our behavior to make large scale differences. And, and it, they, they circle back to another one of my favorite articles um, where Skinner says that, you know, why aren't we acting to save the world? And I think these small actions are the way that we act to save the world. Um, And I hope that, I hope that we are all um, moving towards that kind of community based values uh, system as we, as we address these things like pandemics or coughing like Batman, right? Any level yeah. of change, uh, I think we can do that in, in a really neat way. Yeah. And um, uh, as always, never underestimate the value of positive social praise. Um, there, There's so much that can happen from just catching people doing the right thing. Um, thanking right them away. for taking the extra moment. Yeah. I feel like sometimes we're like, oh, I don't, you know, I just saw someone do something good, but I'll tell them about it later. Like, no, no, no. Tell them right now. You don't know when you're getting another chance and it's more effective in changing their behavior. So take that time to say that. Thank you. I think it's really important. Exactly. And, And one of the things that I have to say that, that that's really useful from my perspective being autistic, um, is that, my entire life, if I saw something that I liked, I would point it out. It be it somebody with an amazing hairdo or color or a shirt that they're wearing. And for some reason that just that, that honesty component has always helped me. And, and it wasn't until I encountered behavior analysis and realized why was because um, I was praising discrete behaviors that the individual had control over. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, oh, I like that hair color or a cool shirt. Did you pick it out? That sort of thing. Um, well, the same thing goes for, for hand washing or cleaning, those sorts of things. Those are, those are discrete 
observable behaviors that people have control over. Somebody doesn't have control over what their natural color of their hair is, right? Or uh, they don't they don't have control over whether they cough, but they do have control over whether they cough into their shoulder or elbow. And so you can say, hey, thanks for doing that. I appreciate it. That's an and, excellent, excellent point. Um, yeah. yeah, we want to we only want to intervene when someone has the ability to change their behavior. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, coughing, like you said, like, it wouldn't be right to punish coughing. But what we can do is, is praise or reinforce coughing in a safer way. Um, or exactly. Doing something that that person has control over. Um, so I think that's pretty rad. Awesome. Well, I think that's about our time. Maggie, uh, if someone wanted to reach out to you or learn more about the open source education special interest group, uh, where, where could they go? So uh, for now, we've got, we've got some things in the works, but the open educational resources um, in ABA special interest group is, I believe, the title of our Facebook page. That's a great place to start. Um, I'm also always happy to chat behavior nerd stuff on any scale with, with folks. So feel free to reach out to me at um, M, like Maggie, Pavone, P-A-V-O-N-E, at lindenwood.edu, which is where I teach in St. Charles. So I'm happy to have those conversations. And then, Brian, can I send you some of these cool uh, resources to stick in the show notes if you get a chance? Heck yeah, I would love to be able to do that. Um, thank you very much for coming on, Maggie. Uh, folks, since this is an open source education material, um, Obehave is open source licensed, meaning that you may use it for teaching. Uh, just make sure you're providing citation. Uh, so feel free. Also, um, this podcast is being produced on um, our time and our dime. So if you're able to support the podcast, you can support it at anchor.fm slash obehave, O-H, behave. Um, or you can go to patreon.com, obehave, sorry, slash obehaves podcast. Uh, thank you again for coming on to the podcast, Maggie. It's been a real pleasure and I hope to have you back soon. Thanks for having me. And I will think about coughing like Batman every time I cover my <laughs> sneeze or cough. <laughs> uh, also talk like Batman when you do it too. It's even more fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame you when I get some, some comments from the faculty council, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. And uh, thank you folks. Have an excellent night. All right. Good night. <laughs>